It's Jim Rowan. How you going? Number four. Sunny day. The morning of the 17th of October. And what a week. There's some, uh, there's some New Japan to talk about. Would you believe it? Ring of Honor. There's Bloodsport that I've just watched. That's a good one. Something different. But, um... Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Let's crack on. So... Lost my place. I listened to the last few podcasts. And, um... I don't know if I should be or not, but reasonably happy. They seem to be not a complete waste of time. Fix the audio on the YouTube ones. YouTube ones are up now. That's good. Um, slowly branching out. But um, here we go. Ring of Honor first. So this was, uh, I guess, last Saturday. Starting with that. Quinn McKay. They call these the. Um, that's the um, the 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 the, and host I guess Quinn McKay she calls herself, the host, um, of these uh, Ring of Honor TV shows. They're calling them block semi-finals, but I mean all that really means is that they're quarterfinals, for this uh, pure championship tournament we've been watching. Um, but first up, before we go into the quarterfinal, that's what I'm going to call it, that's what it is, matches, um, they've got the post-match comments from the week before, so Tracy Williams, he won with a crossface, he, he says he's had zero competition for six months, and he got one of the best in Taylor, who helped him knock off the ring, Rust. Yeah, you did you get it? Because his name's Rust Taylor. And Williams is very close to the camera, and he's producing an awful lot of saliva for a guy that should be tired. Should be, I would think your mouth would be dry. But he's stayed hydrated, and it's kind of gross. The other interview is um, PJ Black. He beat Dorky Tony Deppin with the crucifix driver and um, Black's got some gimmicky lines like betting on Black and having a thousand moves with only three rope breaks means I mean he's like do the math kind of dumb but he puts over Deppin he says he couldn't find him online before the match but he will remember his name now so that was nice of him but the matches this week was uh, we got David Finley versus Jay Lethal the other one is, well, we'll get to it. Matt Seidel and Jonathan Gresham. But Finley and Lethal, well, first we see a car insurance ad. And then we see a promo package for the match to come. It's just, just some, you know, usual deal. Highlights. Some of their interviews, some of their matches. Well, they've only had one match each, so some of those matches. And um, they get going... Nice mat-based stuff to start with, though it's kind of... Yeah, it's not bad. And then they kind of get into the usual pro-wrestling rope bounce stuff. I mentioned the ad. The car insurance ad was was dorky. I'm loving these ads on Ring of Honor, though, because they're so American to me. 
but this one takes the cake. It's an ad for lawyers that are going after doctors. It's something to do with hernia surgery, and they're like, well, if you've experienced these kinds of symptoms, we can sue the doctors or the surgeons. And then they even, and then they even throw in this little bonus ad for some pills. And, uh, and then in the fine print, at the end of the ad, it's got some worrying lines, like, some states won't consider our lawyers experts. And there's another one like, uh, you should investigate the credentials of the lawyers yourself. So that's reassuring. But um, anyway, we should probably talk about the wrestling. So, I mean, it's just a pretty standard match. So the ads were more interesting to me. Uh, they That's a good way to start the podcast. Wrestling podcast, everyone. Didn't care about the wrestling. They go... Um, they go about 15... Because oh, the, the, these matches have a 20-minute time limit, just as I noticed at a typo there. They got a 20-minute time limit, so they went just a couple seconds before the 15-minute mark. Maybe they thought that was extra epic and they didn't realize there was another five minutes left, but it was the lethal injection, um, which lethal picked up a knee injury earlier, but then it didn't seem to affect him too much for the lethal injection. He wins the match and goes through, but um, I talked more about the ads. Okay, look, they have a little promo next, something different on these Ring of Honor shows, because it's all been just matches, interviews, matches, interviews. We have Vincent the Horror King. He's got dreadlocks, he's got tattoos, he's got patchy clothes. He says, man, at the end of each sentence so that's his gimmick uh, then Matt Taven runs out and attacks Vincent in a very pro wrestling way that I do not need to see more of frankly but um, we're we, we don't know if we're excited about this because there's still no fans so we have to take the commentator's word for it that this is exciting that Matt Taven's back I'm, I mean I'm pretty sure Matt Taven's the guy that didn't they give him the title at that MSG show and business just sunk since because or it was shortly thereafter I mean I don't mean to rag on the guy but I just I don't know there's nothing really outstanding about him as far as I can tell yeah wasn't he he beat um Marty Skrull wasn't that the one or it was like a ladder match or something anyway he's back and we're told to be excited about it he pulls up the uh, mat and the he exposes the timber of the ring and um, does a lot of yelling and he, uh, he, he oh he's got like a headlock driver I guess is his finish so he hits uh, Vincent with that and then he pulls out another table and then leaps off the top turnbuckle to the outside through the table with a frog splash um, yeah so Vincent beat up pretty good and then there's that vignette that we saw last week at the end of the show about controlling your narrative but it doesn't reveal much more so we go to the other match Matt Seidel versus Jonathan Gresham uh, you can tell that I'm I'm losing steam on these Ring of Honor shows because uh, I don't know 
I, it started out with so much promise, and it's just kind of gone back to being normal pro wrestling. And I think when you, when there's so much wrestling around, with, you know, so many guys, people are calling stars, and and you're underneath all of that. You've really got to do something different to stand out. You can't be just kind of doing the same thing they're doing, just without the star power. Uh, and that's kind of what this was. I mean, Matt Seidel. Imagine being a knockoff of a knockoff of Shawn Michaels. Anyway, and Gresham taps him with a surfboard. Who taps to a surfboard? Hopefully next week's matches are better. That's right. That's my whole review of that match. Gresham, Gresham won. <laughs> uh, but you know what? At the end, they uh, play that uh, narrative vignette again, and they reveal that it's EC3, who's in fantastic shape as always. So um, maybe we'll see him at the uh, the final show. Well, I don't know. Maybe next week. See how we go. New Japan Strong. We've got... Fred Rosser, Adrian Quest, and Barrett Brown versus Mysterioso, Logan Regal, and Blake Christian. And, uh, uh, well, you can take the man out of WWE, but the training still exists within Fred Rosser. He planned on doing two backbreakers, and even though he dropped Regal after the first one, by God, he's going to pick him up and do another one because that's what he planned. And then he'll toss him away. Because that's... Adapt, dude. Come on. Instead of just going with the flow, he he's like, no, no, wait. I didn't do that right. Let me do my move right. Hold on. Yeah, just participate. I'll try again. Anyway. Um... All of this, it does allow, at least, for some close-ups of his nipples, which are looking pretty normal as far as I can tell. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. And, um, yeah, I think... It, I think good, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure at the time. But now I am sure. A good job was done. That's the main thing I took out of this match. Joy, what, what a start to this. What a st- I, I swear to God there's some good wrestling coming. I swear. Um, Blake Christian won that match with, uh, he calls it Elia, Elia. It's a, it's a dive off the top rope or turnbuckle. It's a twisting splash. He hits that on Barrett Brown and wins the match. But, um, yeah, Rosser kind of hogged the match. He was in there a lot. And, um, anyway. So we got the Lions break final. Clark Connors versus Danny, Danny Limelight. Oh, gee, I must have been in a bad mood watching this. I've wrote, It's hard to get through this match due to Kozlov somehow getting progressively worse at commentary. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. Okay. We're going to recover from this, folks, I swear. But, um, yeah, okay. Connor's won the match. He got a big trophy. He won with the Boston Crab. Classic. So, Clark Connors is the Lions Break Cup winner. And then they had a, an elimination match. David Finley, Jeff Cobb, Rocky Romero, TJP, and ACH versus Carl Fredericks. Oh, sorry, and Carl Fredericks. That's one team. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six on six. Bloody hell. 
Jay White, Kenta, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Chase Owens, and Hikaleo. So, I mean, when you combine a match that you know doesn't matter with commentary that you know you don't like, you're asking a lot for me to watch this. So I didn't. But Finley ended up eliminating Chase Owens and uh, and Kenta. So it was Finley alone, Kenta and Owens left. He beat both of them and, uh, yeah, wins the match. So he wins a... Oh, no, he didn't win a shot at Kenta's briefcase, but because he eliminated him, which I think was just over the top rope anyway, I don't think he even pinned him, but he reckons he deserves a shot at Kenta's briefcase. And, um, I mean, they're just kind of treading water with that anyway, so I'm sure I'll probably get it. All right. Here we go. Here's the real stuff. New Japan, Osaka, A Block. Oh boy. Yuimura versus Suji. Yuya wins. He used his double overhook suplex with the bridge and um, is pretty pumped up about winning. Good on him. He deserves to be. After the match, um, oh, he. The, they they both call it uh, it's the the overhook suplex. They call it the Kanuki suplex. Yoda says he forgot about it, and uh, Yoda says he's pleased to have beaten him with it, but he wants to try it on a senpai, which I think just means anyone above him in the pecking order. So anyone that's not a young lion. But Yuya was talking a lot about kind of keeping things a secret, or you know. He was he was being somewhat withholding with his move set, his already limited move set, earlier on in the tournament. So I guess this is his idea that he's saving his big uh, Kanuki suplex. But um, big win over Suji. A block, Tomohiro Ishii versus Jeff Cobb. They got some fighting spirit stuff to start out, and then a ridiculous suplex from Cobb. And I mean, I know it's always all about showcasing Cobb's power, but he outdid himself. It was a release capture suplex, and he just flings Ishii across the ring. Ishii powers down from a suplex, and... He's, he's trying to, yeah, weigh himself down and not let Cobb toss him around the same... Well, like, Cobb tossed Okada around, which I didn't particularly like. So Ishii's avoiding that. And um, knocks him silly with a forearm, but another deadlift suplex. This time a belly-to-belly -belly shows Cobb's still in it. Um, Ishii does some suplexes too, so it shows that he can throw Cobb around. Um... And then Cobb, gi oh, Cobb gives Ishii some of his own medicine by launching at him with a headbutt, the same way Ishii's been doing. Flattens Ishii. Cobb goes for tour of the islands uh, a couple of times, but Ishii keeps seeing it coming. He finds different ways to counter it. Cobb counters the brain buster with his deadlift swinging backdrop. And then he goes to hit a powerbomb by... So he's hit the back suplex and Ishii's down. 
and then he grabs Ishii's toes and kind of rocks him up so his head comes up and then he just hoists him straight off the ground into the tour of the islands comes down with all of his weight and inexplicably beats Ishii but it was it was a really good match I can forgive it um, even though I know Ishii's the reason it was a good match but still it makes me less mad that Cobb won uh, backstage Cobb he's pretty tired and beat up so I mean he mumbles something but he keeps it short he didn't really say much next up was Jay White and Yujiro we've got um, yeah Jay coming out in just his singlet and track pants and sneakers so he's clearly believing Yujiro's just going to roll over for him here and uh, Yujiro does lie down and Jay makes the cover but he fakes out the referee a couple times getting up before the three count uh, and then he's like, all right, no, 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 I'll take it seriously. And then he goes for the pin. And then Yujiro kicks out. And Jay's like, whoa, what the hell? Does it again. Yujiro kicks out again. And Jay's still confused and is too slow to realize he's now in a fight. So Yujiro goes as far as hitting him with a low blow and going for a pin. And then he goes for the Miami Shine. Um, but then as Yujiro goes in again to try and finish... Gator distracts the referee. Jay White returns the low blow, hits the Blade Runner, and um, takes the victory. It's a really short match, but um, not quite as easy as White expected. So, White wants revenge after the match, but Gato stops him. And then after the match, Yujiro says, Jay is the best leader Bullet Club has had, but that doesn't matter in the G1. White's furious. He's backstage. He's throwing chairs around. Ghetto tries to calm him down. Jay wonders if evil's behind this treachery. Ghetto promises that he had nothing to do with it. Next match. Will Ospreay versus Taichi. We've got Rocky back on English commentary. I guess I must have picked up this one midway with English commentary. Rocky says... Osprey's been real annoying lately, which is fantastic commentary, spot on. Taichi uses the bell hammer as a weapon, and the referee catches him, but Taichi just pushes the referee over and keeps using it. The referee gets up and sees Taichi choking Osprey with the camera cord and still lets the match continue. I mean, if nothing else, I'm glad Taichi saved these shenanigans for Osprey. But it's still annoying to see the referee watching all of this and just doing nothing about it. Still, the commentary team seem to think that Osprey is taking this easy. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a near 20-minute match. Osprey ends up taking it home with the Hidden Blade and then the Stormbreaker. Uh, and then Taichi outright attacks and chokes someone after the match. I, I couldn't see who it was, just one of the officials or something, but I'm sure he'll receive no sanction for it. After the match, Taichi he's, says he's hurt and he's tired. He considers just dropping out of the competition altogether because he's had four straight losses now. Osprey is still doing the goat noise, um, and he says he wants revenge on Cobb for MSG which is Madison Square Garden, I believe. Unless Cobb's been putting MSG in 
Osprey's noodles. Which I don't know. It's kind of... I know it's not healthy, but it tastes good. Kota Ibushi versus Minoru Suzuki. This one is fantastic. It's a bit of a pancrase shoot style open to the match. Ibushi does more than hold his own, though. And when it starts going his way, Suzuki retreats up the ramp and tells Ibushi to follow because he wants to fight on a harder surface, I guess. Suzuki wins that battle before being forced back to the ring by the count. The striking period then kind of begins and they are both enjoying it a bit too much so it's the back and forth uh, fighting spirit stuff. Suzuki wins that battle as well and then counters a desperate Kamigoye into a Boston Crab. Suzuki tries to catch Ibushi in something but Ibushi leaps up with the knee Hits Suzuki in the jaw, finishes him with the Kamigoye, and um, yeah, this match was nuts, but in a great way. And uh, Suzuki is a madman of few words, so he, he just kind of rants and raves, but doesn't say much as he passes through the press area. Ibushi says he's really fired up and getting closer to victory in the tournament. He says he's had fun fighting Suzuki because he can prove himself as more of a high flyer. As if he hasn't done that already, but... Alright. Main event. Kazuchika Okada vs Shingo Takagi. I noticed Okada no longer had the tape on his back, so maybe he's feeling better. I don't know how anyone heals anything over the course of the G1, but... There you go. Shingo's done some scouting, though, because uh, there's a lot of counters over the course of this match. Um, it's about 20 minutes in before we see the money clip, but Shingo won't quit. Okada goes for his new pin move, but Shingo kicks out of that, fortunately. Money clip gets wrapped back on, but uh, he hits a Rainmaker when Shingo escapes. Shingo hits one back as a counter, does his own Rainmaker. Uh, and then does his own pose as well, the Rainmaker pose, before the pumping bomber. But he runs into the drop kick. Shingo comes back with Made in Japan, two count. And um, the fans are really into this, by the way. And uh, I don't think Made in Japan's pinned anyone. I mean, has it pinned anyone ever? Certainly not in the G1. But the fans were right behind it and they're stomping their feet. And This time, Pumping Bomber connects. Uh, but Okada kicks out again. This is about the 25 minute mark now and the crowd's only getting louder. They're really into it. Although there's actually a groan when Okada briefly tries the money clip again, uh, though it was only brief. He uh, throws in the, the discus, discus version of the Lariat Rainmaker, um, but then he locks in the money clip again, and the crowds seriously go silent before reminding themselves that they should try and enjoy it. So Shingo tries to fight Okada off, but his eyes are popping out of his head. And he eventually goes out. The referee calls off the match. Which was a good match. Uh, just, you know, the finish is... It's still not over. The move's not over. He's trying. But... My question is... I mean, the referee... It was a good stoppage, by the way. The referee checked Shingo. He didn't respond the first time. The referee called it off. Perfect. But why doesn't Sonata get that treatment? For the skull end. 
the referee will sit there shaking hands with the guy for 10 minutes and just be like, hey, Sonata, and you're going to try a moonsault? This guy's unconscious. You know, why is it okay for Okada to get the referee stoppage, but not Sonata? First time in a while I've defended Sonata. Uh, so the commentary point out, this is the first time Okada's closed a show for this year's G1. And Okada addresses that very point, rhetorically asking the crowd if it feels like it's the G1 now, and says he may as well go on and win the whole thing then. And then backstage he admits it's been a while since he's had a big win, but he enjoyed the match with Takagi. Shingo really thought he could beat Okada, but he he puts over the money clip and uh, says he loathes Suzuki-gun, so... He's got uh, Suzuki and Taichi next, and he really wants to beat them both. Um, I've got the A-block standings here, but they're probably wrong. I'm terrible at them. I should have looked it up before. The um, well, we'll see if I've got a bit of time to try and find it after this, but uh, we'll, we'll press on for now. Oh, yeah, we've got UFC as well. Actually, we've got a, a, rather, a rather noteworthy UFC here. And we're going to start with the noteworthiest of it. A middleweight bout between Joaquin Buckley and Impa Kasanganai. Between Joaquin Buckley and his opponent. And... No, I'll try. Kasanganai? Kasanganai. Was coming in unbeaten. This was his UFC debut. Buckley made his UFC debut in his previous fight, where he lost to Kevin Holland, but he took that fight on short notice. The first round was pretty good. They both landed damaging shots, uh, but it was the second round that produced one of the greatest knockouts in UFC history, in MMA history. Kasanganai catches the left leg of Bud of Buckley after a roundhouse kick attempt so Buckley spins he jumps and he throws the right foot straight into Kasanganai's face and Kasanganai's knocked out straight away but he stays standing for a moment and then just slowly falls backwards and um like just like out of the straight out of the movies and because Buckley was a bit off balance, having, you know, one foot held and throwing up the other foot, he kind of, when he landed, uh, had to step backwards. So he had enough vision of Kasanganai going down that he knew he didn't have to follow up, which made it even cooler, really, that it's just this one strike knockout and Kasanganai just falls straight back. Um, it's like... It's the move Jeff Hardy would always do. I mean, I'm sure... Oh, Rob Van Dam did it as well, I think. But it reminded me straight away of, of Jeff Hardy. He would always do that one. Um, this one had a little more force behind it, though. And, uh, yeah, pretty great. Um, and, I mean, this... this Because this is on the preliminary card. I woke up to this highlight. Because UFC in my part of the world is... It happens, um, the, the prelims are in the morning and about midday the main card will start. So 
Sunday, that's and that's on a Sunday. So I sleep in on a Sunday, and that's what I wake up to. And it's just it went viral. It was on all sorts of sport websites that wouldn't usually cover the UFC because it was so spectacular. Um, but unfortunately, in the promo afterwards, Buckley didn't really have much to say about it. He really could have launched himself if he had a a cool line um, or someone to call out. You know, he he really could have. Uh, uh, yeah, done done something with that, and still, I heard um since Kanye West used the clip as promotion for one of his new songs or albums or I don't know whatever he's doing now, clothing, something, some kind of promotional tool. So um yeah, I mean it's just it's phenomenal knockout. Even if you're not into MMA, you got to check it out. Um anyway, we'll run through the rest of this. So we had. Chris Duquette? Duquette? Oh, man. I swear I'm usually pretty good with names. Dorcas? <laughs> Dorcas. I'm going to go with that. Chris Dorcas beat uh, Rodrigo Nascimento with a KO just 45 seconds into round one. It was a left hook, dropped, dropped Nascimento, and um, despite some huge follow up punches, na- Nascimento was able to get back up, but then he another left hook knocked him down again. The referee just called it off straight after that. Um, yeah, Dorcas is—he's got a brother in the uh, middleweight division. This is at heavyweight, if I didn't mention. His brother's at middleweight called Kyle, and uh, this Chris fella's got this huge, ugly tattoo of it says "My Brother's Keeper" across his chest. It's hard to get past that. But it doesn't sound like he spoke like a dummy. I just... I don't know. Bad decision, I think. Um, the other prelim one I've got here, Tom Breeze beat KB Buller via TKO. Also in round one, it was a big left hand absorbed by Buller, but then a flash jab. Seconds later, knocks him down. Buller's done. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit rare. Just a really nice jab. Knocked him out. Um, main card, heavyweight. Ben Rothwell versus Marcin Tybura. Rothwell putting together combos really well, uh, and they're both active in a good first round. The second round's basically a slightly slower version of the first round. Tybura earns a takedown in the last round and really dominates the end of the fight with some severe ground and pound, and that secures him the decision, goes unanimously to Tybura. Um, he doesn't have a specific name he wants to call out, but he wants a top 10 fighter next. Featherweight debut, I believe, for Edson Barboza um, against Makwan Amirkani. Amirkani. Uh, so not too much to this one, but um, they share the promo a little bit at the end. Amirkani thanked him for accepting the fight, and Barboza responded that he did because he respects him. Um, Barboza says he dropped a featherweight to become a champion. He wants a, fo- a top five opponent next. And the main event on this one was Marlon Moraes versus Corey Sanhagen. Uh, Moraes, I I watched this for Moraes mostly because he's exciting to watch, usually. But it's Sanhagen that brought the heat on this one. He lands a head kick in the second round and then diagnoses the damage himself. He yells to his corner, his orbital is broken. And then he goes in with a fake jab, 
only to spin and hit Marius in the head with a spinning wheel kick and then finish the fight with punches. It was another great knockout. And I mean, it would have been knockout of the night on any other night. Unfortunately, it was unshadowed by one of the greatest knockouts ever. But um, big win for Sandhagen in round two. Uh, Sandhagen, after the fight, said that he... Because he was asked, like, you know, why did you diagnose that injury? He's like, well, I saw the same thing happen to a training partner, which is ominous for anyone training with Sandhagen. Um, and he thinks he's owned his title shot now, so he wants the title next. But uh, that was all for UFC, and we have a nice segue into back into the wrestling with Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. I've just watched this from the Marion Country, not County, Marion Country Fairgrounds. This is usually, of course, an event that would take place across WrestleMania weekend, but uh, it's presented by Game Changer Wrestling, GCW. They've uh, managed to put a lot of what they had planned back then together now. I didn't even know about this. This was something I found out about just a few days ago. But um, yeah, they had a, a few events uh, or a few evenings with uh, a handful of events on each evening. And I'm sure there was some good stuff, but the only one that really stood out to me was Bloodsport. I have watched and looked forward to Bloodsport for the last, uh, I believe this is the third incarnation. The second one is Josh Barnett's and the first one was, well, the, the second two, the last two have been Josh Barnett's. And the first one was hosted by Matt Riddle. But, um, yeah, I mean, that end, I've only got limited time. So this one I had to get. We uh, It opens up. The announcer has a mask on. And it sounds like the acoustics are poor anyway. So I'm not exactly sure what he's saying. There's people scattered all over. Um, they're on grey concrete bleachers in front of a raised grey mat with no ropes so it sounds bad and it looks bad are my two first impressions but the crowd seemed pretty into it the fighters walk to the ring one by one but um, I won't get into that now we'll do that when the matches start Moxley walks out last though and probably edges it as the biggest reaction but my reaction was the realisation that Barnett isn't actually on the card he comes out last, and he takes the mic from the announcer, and he's not wearing a mask, so I can mostly understand what he's saying, which is just basically that he worked really hard to put this event together, and he thanks everyone for coming. Um, and then the commentator comes in, who he doesn't introduce himself, but uh, he does explain the rules. So, we got submission, knockout, forfeit, and disqualification are the finishes. There's no pinfalls. The referee can restart the fight in the center if it comes too close to the edge. The fighters have a 10 second uh, ring or account to return to the ring uh, if they exit it, obviously. Uh, eyes, ears, throat and groin attacks are illegal, which, I mean, chokes are throat attacks. So that's confusing. I'm sure there are a lot of jokes. Biting, clawing, scratching 
Are clawing and scratching different? Hair pulling, fish hooking, small joint manipulations, and uh, holding on to clothing. They're all illegal. Um, so small joint manipulations just being like you can't break their fingers one by one or something. And um, fish hooking, that's grabbing their mouth, get putting your fingers in their mouth. Uh, first match, Simon Grimm versus Matt Mikowski. Mikowski is new to pro wrestling, but not to fighting. He went 6-2 and two in his pro MMA career, which ended over 10 years ago, where he was known as Weapon X. I'm just fixing up some formatting here. I didn't know about him. I had to look this up. Um, <laughs> and in my research... I found one of his victories was over Nick Serra, who's the younger brother of Matt Serra. It was in Elite XC in 2008, and Mikowski won the bout via DQ. And, of course, next to the result in brackets, it would usually say, you know, TKO victory, and then in brackets, punches, or, you know, submission, in brackets, guillotine. This one said, DQ victory due to wouldn't... Get up from butt scoot. Elite XC folded a few months later. Anyway, Mikowski started in pro wrestling last year. The tale of the tape shows height, weight, and hometown. And surprisingly, according to that, Grimm is bigger. Because I'd guess Mikowski was, looking at them. Um, Mikowski's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So... He should make short work of Grimm on the mat, but uh, Grimm isn't afraid to take him down. Mikowski passes Grimm's guard with a standing moonsault. That was cool. Gains a headlock. Grimm escapes. Stays down. Mikowski, instead of entering his guard, asked him to stand up. And the commentator justified this by saying Mikowski's a striker because he's done some Muay Thai. But he's also just said that he's a BJJ black belt. So... To me, there seems like a pretty big gap between I've trained in some X and I have a black belt in X. But apparently he's a striker. And he does land a cool Capohero kick. Um, and then they go down. Mikowski definitely has an armbar, but he doesn't even try for it. So he's either not a black belt or he's refusing to win by submission. Uh, the striking is pretty good, though. It's all open palm to the head. They didn't mention that. There's a few elbows. Um, Mikowski sweeps Grimm, uh, locks in a head and arm choke, which the commentator calls a neck crank. Uh, Grimm escapes to an ankle lock, which, I mean, that escape made no sense, but the crowd liked it. Uh, the commentator says Grimm is in mount when he's very clearly in Mikowski's guard. <laughs> they, they couldn't have found a commentator that had just basic grappling knowledge? I mean, okay, this is a point worth making... But I guess, look, the point's made. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't want to harp on about it. Frankly, I mean, it's not like I'm an expert either. Um, other than that, the commentator's energy is pretty good. Um, he's, 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 he's not bad. Uh, and the match is good for what it is. The striking's really good for pro wrestling. If you put it up against a normal pro wrestling bout, the, the striking's good. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily saying much, but... You know, they keep their arms up, uh, they lay it in to a degree, it makes it look competitive. There's a gut wrench slam by Mikowski, 
He manages to turn that into a heel hook. Grimm slips out of that and hits a half-and-half half suplex, which knocks Mikowski out, and the referee calls it off. It's about 10 minutes that match goes for. Um, so Grimm wins by KO. Mikowski sells the knockout really well. He goes out, but only just for a few moments, and then he has a few moments of confusion where he kind of gets up and is like, am I still fighting? But he's still working everything out, and then he just kind of realizes, and he slowly gets up, and he's disappointed. It Really realistic. I was, I was impressed by that selling. Um... I'm trying to be positive now because I feel like I started this negatively, but I've pointed it, you know, I'm just pointing out what I see, what I hear. Unfortunately, the entire screen is grey. But look, they made the best of what they got. And I've pointed all that out now so we can just focus on the matches. Next up is the women's tournament, which is just between four women, so I guess it's just two matches and then a final. Um... So, Alison Kay versus Killer Kelly. Kelly comes out to Pharrell, and Alison comes out to Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. So, I'm assuming they didn't pay the rights for these and are small enough to let it, let a little, you know, it'll go under the radar. Uh, I see, I've seen some of Kay's work as NWA World's Women Champion, um, but I haven't seen anything of Kelly. So, I looked her up, she's from Portugal. She's wrestled for WXW in Germany. Uh, she was a women's champion there, in fact, before being a part of the uh, WWE or NXT UK, which apparently she's still signed to. I don't know. I don't think they're getting much work over there with that. So um, here she is. She's a lot smaller than Kay. And once again, the tail of the tape is surprising because apparently there's only five pounds between them. I'm... That can't be right. I think Kay has fibbed on a application form, to be honest. And that's not to say that Kay doesn't look good. She looks in great shape, but she's six inches taller. It, I, it just it doesn't add up. Anyway, the grappling's not bad. There's a, a few nice different takedowns that they both do. Um, they're generally pretty happy to be patient, though. Um, there's one really big Allison fan that leads the charge on chance after every sequence and uh, he quickly falls out of favor with the rest of the crowd because they played along at first um, so then either they want Kelly to win or just out of spite they start chanting uh, out of spite to this guy they start chanting for Kelly um, Kay explodes with a flurry of blows Kelly does the same when given the chance, as they both try to break the deadlock. Kay fights for an armbar, it's defended. Kelly throws some big overhands as she tries to escape. Uh, Kay takes an ankle. Kelly's facials are great as she struggles through it and throws some more big palm strikes to the head. Kay regains control of the ankle, but they both sit up and they start slapping each other, forcing them to break. Kelly takes her back, locks in a rear naked choke, but Kay just drops back to squash her and get her off. Kelly seems a bit gassed at this point, but goes swinging in, hits a butterfly suplex, but just doesn't have enough in the tank to take advantage. So Kay gets up, she hits a head kick, and then she rolls into a crucifix. She lands multiple elbows. 
Kelly tries to power her way back to her feet, but fails. Kay finishes her with a... It's kind of a rear triangle choke that um, Kelly submits to once Kay sits up and really puts the pressure on it. It was a good match. It went about 12 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that forced the submission, that rear triangle. So Alison Kay advances, and she helps up Kelly. They share a moment of mutual respect. And um, the crowd give Kelly a hero's exit with a nice chant as she leaves. This is followed by the other semi-final, I suppose, of the women's tournament. Layla Hirsch versus Lindsay Snow. Legit Layla Hirsch. She's from New Jersey, but it appears she's got a Russian flag on her. She's in the Russian colors. She's got a Russian flag, so... uh, That's something she's representing. Um, speaking of looks, Lindsay Snow's got quite a look. She's heavily tattooed from head to toe. Both of these ladies have been wrestling for a few years, but um, they um, they act the part. They don't look green. The commentator says that uh, this is about between Hirsch's amateur wrestling against Snow's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and they start much more actively than the last match started. Snow's getting the better of it for the most part. Uh, She's the larger of the two, though they're both smaller than the first two women. They go back and forth grappling. Uh, Layla isn't afraid to throw some shots in between, and the crowd are into that. But it's mostly mat-based. The commentator wins me back over, actually, calling it uh, a Corellan lift, which is the deadlift gut wrench suplex. And then Snow follows that up with a heel hook. And that finishes the match by submission. This one only went about five minutes. But um, Snow kind of leans into the camera showing her bloody nose. It's like streaming down her face. And she's it suits her look because she's kind of got... She's got like a pale... I mean, it's makeup. Pale face and she's got like black lines kind of... I don't know what that is. Vampire look or something. But uh, yeah, it looks cool. So that was a good match. Just, um, you know, real kind of frantic grappling, and, um, yeah, good finish. The next one, this is a good one too, and the crowd are hot for it. Hail Mary by Tupac starts playing, and the crowd pops just for the music. And then moments later, Calvin Tankman walks out, and he got one of the biggest reactions when they were introducing the fighters at the start of the show, and he gets another big pop here. And I've not even heard of this guy, but he's so popular, despite only being on the indie scene for a few years. Alexander James is much less popular, despite being around for a lot longer, but in fairness, most of his recent work has been spent in Europe. He's a regular for WXW. Uh, James is very much a heavyweight at uh, 6'3", 227 pounds, but Tankman is a super heavyweight, 6'2", 355 pounds. So Tankman stuffs the double leg, gets on top quickly, which is exactly where James does not want to be. Tankman very purposely weighs down on James heavily, but at the same time is actively advancing his position. And in fairness to James, he does well to get Tankman off him a few times, but uh, all the offense is really going Tankman's way. 
until James managed to pop up, take his back, sinks in a choke. The crowd boo until Tankman reverses. Uh, James takes his back again. Tankman just stands up this time and hits a Samoan drop. Uh, just James just seems to, to want nothing to do with Tankman's hands, so he tries another takedown. Uh, he ends up getting on top and going for an arm. Tankman picks him up again, and this time instead of getting slammed, James has to abort. So now they're on their feet, they start throwing hands. James lands some blows, but he can't hurt him. Tankman's doing damage, he hits some knees, he lands a couple of overhands that knock James down, and then Tankman lands on top of him with the big elbow, and the referee stops it there. This is a fun fight, really good. And Calvin Tankman, damn, this guy came out of nowhere, but uh, he's, a, he's a star. Next up, Eric Hammer versus Cal Jack. Hammer fought in Bloodsport last year. He beat uh, big man J.R. Kratos. Um, previous to that, he's only wrestled for the IGF, Inoki Genome Federation. Otherwise, he competes in catch wrestling, so uh, which is basically real pro wrestling. He's got a good look. He's 6'4", he's 274 pounds. Big guy, big mustache. Uh, Cal Jack had a brief run in NXT a few years ago, and he's hung around the indie scene since without being particularly active, but he's a big lad too, 6'6", 285 pounds. Uh, he lands a straight right hand. Um, I mean, it's not really a straight right hand. It's an open palm, right? But he knocks Hammer down straight away just with his first strike, and uh, Hammer's stunned, but he gets back up. Um... Commentators talking about how Cal Jack's dad trained with Gary Albright, and he beat Steve Williams, Dr. Death, in an amateur wrestling match in his day. But, um, the ma I mean, the match, there's not much spectacular about it. It's a real struggle for position. I didn't mind it. It's just, it's, you know, it was a grind. They're each trying to grind each other down. Um, Jack nearly straightens out Hammer's arm, but it was a, a really neat sweep from Hammer that reverses the situation and Jack has to tap to the chicken wing. Next up, Homicide versus Filthy Tom Lawler, a street fighter against a martial artist, but Homicide's pretty popular, so I can't imagine them just squashing him. Lawler, of course, formerly with the UFC, more recently wrestles for MLW. Homicide's very much a freelancer, but I saw him most recently with the NWA, alongside the great Eddie Kingston. I believe they both went to AEW as well, um, but I haven't seen much of that. I haven't seen any of that, actually. Uh, so Lawler throws some strikes to the face, and Homicide just walks straight through them. Homicide gets out of an ankle lock by just stomping on Lawler's head. He's just tough and scrappy, but Lawler's got another gear to go to, so he just turns up the heat. First it's a guillotine. Uh, when that doesn't work, he goes to a sleeper. And then there's a, a neat single leg takedown, transitions into a single leg Boston Crab, and finally Homicide has to tap, so Lawler takes victory on that one. Davey Boy Smith and Josh Alexander. Alexander's currently with Impact, but he's been in the business for close to 15 years. He's the first wrestler to sport ear guards at the event, so first guy to want to stay pretty. Davey Boy is another MLW guy. Uh, after finishing up with New Japan last year. And uh, last year, uh, at Bloodsport, Smith beat the recent NXT champion, 
kill a cross. He beat him with a cross face. So Smith has the double wrist lock. He uses it to do a nice throw. Um, but Alexander managed to reverse out of it. Smith takes a leg. He nearly turns it into a sharpshooter, which gets a reaction, but they're too close to the edge, so it gets broken up. Um, they do a bit of a fighting spirit spot before Smith just out of nowhere hits a sit-out powerbomb and Alexander's out. So Smith wins with the KO. Now we got the final of the women's tournament, Alison K versus Lindsay Snow. K pulls a power move by changing her outfit. They uh, they show there's a silver cup up for grabs. Uh, it's shown by the referee. He holds it up. The Alison K fan is back at it, and uh, Snow starts getting chants as a result. And then he tries again and gets a shut the fuck up chant. <laughs> Oh, damn. I don't think I swore till now. But that was them, not me. That was those Marion County hillbillies. Country. Whatever. Anyway, this match, it's a bit more like the K match, because I assume she's calling the shots here. It's a bit more like her match than it is the Snow Snow's first match. It's a bit more... It's a bit slower. It's more evenly matched. Um... Snow gets on top. She starts throwing some big elbows. Kay protects herself with her guard and pushes Snow off. But Snow just keeps coming back. She's persistent with her takedown attempts. Kay rolls one over into the crucifix, but Snow fights out of that as well. She throws more big shots uh, and then drops back into a heel hook. And she submits Kay with that. So Lindsay Snow wins the cup. Uh, this again, this only went about five minutes as well. But Josh Barnett comes out and presents Lindsay Snow with the trophy. Now we have the main event: John Moxley versus Chris Dickinson. Who? Chris Dickinson, or Dicko, as I like to call him, because it's kind of a long name. Um, I'm not sure what his entrance music is, but there's a big pop when Moxley walks out. Current AEW World Champion and IWGP United States Champion. Uh, Dicko's a Bloodsport veteran, though. He beat Andy Williams last year. He lost to Dan Severin in the first year. Uh, I don't see much of him outside of these events. Apparently, most recently, he's been mainly wrestling for Beyond Wrestling out of Massachusetts. Um, so they warm each other up with some slaps to the face exchanged. The commentator puts over how big of an opportunity for Dicko this is, which is true. Uh, Moxley's one of the biggest stars in the business. He also catches us up on the AEW storylines. So apparently Eddie Kingston accused Moxley of leaving the independent wrestling scene behind, um, despite claiming to be a champion for it. It's another kind of grindy match. Everything's a struggle. Suddenly, Moxley turns Dicko around and pushes him into the ring post, which Dickinson, he bounces off the ring post. Of course, there's no ropes, so he just falls outside. And um, when he gets back in, Moxley doesn't let him in either. He just gets straight back on top of him. I would have thought the referee would uh, get between them for those moments. For this, it's it's supposed to be a bit more sports-like, but uh, not this time at least. So Moxley throws some big elbows from on top. He tries to separate... Dicko's arm from his side. 
Mox really fights for it, but uh, Dicko manages manages to escape. Uh, Moxley reacts weirdly. He kind of backs up. He's talking some trash, but he backs up. Dickinson's still kind of trying to get to his feet. Moxley runs at him and barges him out of the ring again. Uh, Mox goes for a Gotch-style pile driver, which seemed out of place because he really took his time with it. But Dicko reverses it. Dragon screw starts kicking at the same leg. Um, it's a huge German deadlift suplex. Like Dicko just yanks him up like nothing. And then he hooks the leg that he was working a moment before. Uh, Moxley rolls out of the ring to escape. They have a, a fighting spirit spot. They do blows like elbow or forearms back and forth. They're not blocking. Uh, then the chops come out. I think that's the first chops of the night. Uh, Moxley, he gets the double underhooks. But instead of going for his DDT, he throws Dickinson over with the butterfly suplex. And then he locks in a sleeper. Dicko tries to fight out of it, but uh, soon enough he goes out and the referee stops it. So, not a bad match. Moxley oversells a bit at the end. He should go ask um, Mikowski for tips. But, um, yeah, Moxley wins the main event. He grabs the mic. The audio is shocking. So, I'm, I, I don't know. He's not wearing a mask, though. So, I think he says, he says something like, thanks. He thanks the fans for coming out. I think he says, like, Thanks for doing it in a safe way, like for them wearing masks and stuff. He puts over Dicko, raises his hand. Good event overall, I'd say. Worth the money. 30 bucks Australian, 20 bucks US. Yeah, not bad. Bit of a shoot style there. What I was hoping for more of from Ring of Honor. But, um, I don't know, it seems they've just fallen back into their old ways. Anyway, speaking of old ways, time for my old ways of only talking about New Japan. We've got this event here, B Block. We've got the A Block event. Then got another B Block event. And then... That's what we're up to? I think so. Okay, let's do it. Oh man, would you look at the time? An hour of this already. Let's go. Gabriel Kidd versus Yoda Suji. This is in Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. Suji goes for... Oh, he, he went down again. This time, not to an overhook suplex, but the double underhook suplex, otherwise known as the butterfly suplex. Um, yeah, Gabriel Kidd gets the win over Suji. And um, I listened to the English commentary on this. Kelly confirms the C block is real. And he says that Yuomura and Kid are just one point behind Suji. So um, Suji's still on 10 points after these two losses. And Kid's fired up, as always, about his victory. He uh, he takes up half the press conference with his rubbish. I didn't even write anything down about it. Uh, back, backstage, Yoda's disappointed to be on what he calls a losing streak of those two matches. Uh, he says he's got one match left with each of his rivals, and he will have to find counters for their favorite suplexes. B-Block, Yoshihashi and Zack Sabre Jr. Zack Sabre Jr. must think the butterfly lock is such an insult. He gets out of it almost instantly. Uh, and then he submits Yoshi with a real submission hold. Um, that starts with an omoplata and then it just becomes a mess of backward limbs until 
Yoshi can't stand Namur. So, Zack Sabre wins, but Yoshi's inspiring optimism continues backstage. Uh, and you know what? Zack was impressed with Yoshi as well. He wonders if it was the pandemic that changed him. Because, this is what he says, a couple of years ago, he couldn't walk in a straight line without dislocating his shoulder. <laughs> Actually, his next line's even better. Well, he might be double champion if we have a cataclysm. I like that. Up next is Yano versus Kenta. The referee pulls a couple rolls of tape from Yano's types before the match begins. Uh, and then the ref has to deal with Kenta's briefcase and Yano's chair. They square off with those. Uh, they then go and play chicken with the count out. They're both outside the ring, just waiting for the other. Um, they fight up the ramp. They fight over the briefcase, which is accidentally opened, and a couple dozen rolls of tape tumble out, which I'll admit I laughed at. Kenta tapes Yano's hands to the girder that goes around the entrance at the top of the ramp, and he runs back down to the ring and wins by countout. Backstage, Kenta is happy to see the slimmer camera person, but is paranoid about their absence. Apparently, the fat camera person tweets Kenta hate. Jeez, who can blame him? He'd have more reason than most people to... He'd have more reason than most people that Kenta beats up to tweet hate at Kenta. But uh, Kenta and the slim camera person share a pinky promise with the consequence being something to do with Yoshi's staff. Next up is Juice Robinson and Sanada. Kelly says Juice's outfit is inspired by the Blues Brothers. When I have assumed it was Freddie Mercury until um, now that I actually think about it and... The only reason I would think that, I think, is is the We Will Rock You, you know, stomp, clap gimmick, and the white singlet. Otherwise, yeah, okay, it's Blues Brothers. Of course it's Blues Brothers. Oh, and being flamboyant. Flamboyant Juice Robinson. That's another hint, but he was already that. Uh, I haven't seen Sonata's Paradise Lock in a while, but Juice suffers it. Kelly and Rocky are purposely hokey about how serious the move is. Um, they had the same dry humour toward the last match. I didn't... Not a fan. But uh, there's a superplex, which has become something of a signature for Juice, and then he he hits that, and then he holds on and hits the jackhammer, uh, which has been named. It's now the Juliet jackhammer. The name is not explained. There's uh, skull end spots... Eventually, Juice goes limp, which is what I was talking about before. Juice goes limp, but the referee is completely inconsistent. Marty Asami checking Juice's arm twice. It's limp both times, but that isn't enough to stop the match. Is Marty Asami the Mario Yamasaki of pro wrestling? But, I mean, Sonata ends up winning anyway. He just He does the moonsault, so he wins by pin. And there's no Sonata promo, but that's not surprising. There's no Juice promo. Wow. The main event is next after this match. Nearly missed it. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Hiroki Goto. In a surprise tactic, Tanahashi works the legs. Uh, this match is pretty standard. Uh, actually, there was a super Yushigaroshi, um, 
which looked painful for both of them. That was cool. Godu hits the reverse GTR, and then he goes for the normal GTR, which Tanahashi counters, but then Godo counters it back into the GTR, and he wins. Bit of a surprise out of nowhere. Backstage, Tanahashi lies on the floor. He accepts his place in the tournament, but vows to fight on. Godo says he has talked of miracles in the past, but this victory wasn't one of them. So I guess maybe he's saving that for one of the next matches. This is the main event, Tetsuya Naida versus Evil. Oh, that, I mean, that last card was always going to be hard to follow, but, um, I mean, at least this main event could produce the heat necessary to give B-Block back some dignity. Oh, never mind, Evil and Togo blatantly cheat while the referee covers his eyes. Uh, Naito makes his comeback, and they have a normal match for a while. Naito has some success with the Koji Clutch. Darkness Falls is counted into a Destino, or like a half-Destino. Actually, it wasn't even a half-Destino, it was more like a third of a Destino. Um, and then Evil hits the Darkness Falls moments later anyway. Togo wanders into the ring without a worry in the world, while Red Shoes pretends he's dealing with that. Evil hits a low blow. Naito has to fight Togo and his choky chain off again, but the match picks up from there. Bunch of counters, running Destino, Naito goes for the wind-up, and Evil counters straight into everything is evil, and wins the match. At least his music's good. After the match, Evil calls that his brand of justice for Naito, says the G1's his, and backstage he asks Jay if he really trusts Gato. Once again, I'm not going to bother with these block B standings that I've written down, because I know they're wrong. They've got to be wrong. I'm terrible at them. Next night, in uh, Shizuoka, Yuya Uemura and Gabriel Kidd in the opener, and overhooks beat underhooks. Uemura picks up the victory. Backstage, Kid's talking about expressing his feelings, and Uemura doesn't display much in the way of feelings at all. But here we go, A-block action. Osprey and Jeff Cobb. Why doesn't Jeff Cobb do something about his wispy, grey chin hairs? Like, I'm not even... You know, grey's not necessarily bad. It's just... His beard in particular looks bad. And speaking of bad looks, here comes Japan's favourite flamboyant jester from Assassin's Creed. So, Cobb sends him sailing through the air with a massive F5, or the verdict as it was called in this company. Spinning, he spun him around like a 540. Cobb counters a Stormbreaker with a German suplex, flings Osprey into the ropes and hits Tour of the Islands on the rebound to pick up another surprise victory. And this time I couldn't be happier for Cobb, good on him. Backstage, Osprey's doing the math in his head, trying to reassure himself of his chances. He admits he's got a very punchable face, fair play. He says Okada's been like a brother to him in Japan, and he's always had his numbers, and Okada's always had Osprey's number, so Osprey will need to change his perspective if he is to defeat him and win the group. Cobb calls, he, he calls himself Gachi Muchi? 
which I've never been interested in him enough to actually go ahead and look up, but by God, he earned it tonight. So I looked it up, Gachi Moochie, it means muscular chubby. Referring, of course, to his body type. Um, and uh, yeah, Cobb says he has Yujiro next. So three in a row for Cobb, probably. Next match, Kota Ibushi versus Yujiro, the man himself. Uh, so Yujiro, I guess, has had enough of losing because he is right up for this one. He hits a big lariat. He hits a, an Olympic slam. He hits a fisherman buster off the top rope and then another one right after. But Marty Asami dogs him on the count. There's a clear delay before counting three and Ibushi has time to kick out. Not to be discouraged, though, Yujiro dodges a Kamigoye although he then eats a flying knee before falling to a second, much more successful Kamigoye attempt. Ibushi wins. Yujiro says a lot of people are giving up because they're out, and he is not, because victory is not all that matters. Good for you, Yujiro. Ibushi's very complimentary, saying Yujiro fought hard and clean and Kind of suggests that he should change his ways. He might be more successful. Shingo Takagi versus Taichi. Taichi uses a camera cord to choke Shingo. Asami doesn't care. Taichi chokes Shingo in the ring. Asami doesn't care. Taichi makes fun of the five count rule by just releasing the hold momentarily, then choking Shingo again immediately afterwards. He pushes Asami over, he tries a low blow on Shingo, but that was countered. Chaichi rakes the eyes to escape last of the dragon, and um, as you can tell, I'm loving this one. Chaichi hits a high kick before trying last of the dragon himself. He actually hit the move. <laughs> Rocky calls it the ugly dragon, and... Um, it does, however, put Taichi on the beautiful track to victory because he hits a sweet sidekick right to the chops. Black Mephisto keeps Takagi down. Taichi's the winner. Shingo's upset after the match, of course. He fell into Taichi's sneaky trap and admits that he doesn't have a chance at the finals, but done he is not. Suzuki in Ryogoku is a chance for revenge. Hearing his music makes Shingo's blood boil. Taiji's distracted by the fat people in the press area, but he focuses back on Takagi to give him a backhanded compliment. That is, uh, Gato clutch is good, but he should keep practicing it. Um, Taiji recognizes that his G1 finals chances are slim or gone, but then he starts describing himself as a sumo wrestler. So in Ryogoku, he will be at home, uh, and he will practice stomping around like a sumo, which he says with a smirk. And then he will dedicate that win to his partner, Zack. So I think he's making fun of sumo, of the Rikishi. Next up is... There's two more on this card. Minoru Suzuki versus Jay White. Jay White wastes time and keeps running away, but, I mean, it's Suzuki. He's running from Suzuki. I don't like it, but I understand it. Suzuki locks in the armbar over the ropes, and Gato approaches him, but thinks better of it when he gets closer, because 
Somehow Suzuki's even scarier upside down. White takes advantage of the distraction, drives Suzuki into the barricade, uh, pulls the camera cord down across his throat. Uh, stuff like that works for White, even playing a bit of possum, but he makes the mistake of entering into a striking contest, which is very much Suzuki's world, and he gets knocked all the way out of the ring with an elbow. The king then drags Blade Boy back into his world of crippling submissions and brain-rattling blows. Geto's still there to get in the way, and White takes advantage, but the Blade Runner is countered into a flying armbar. White taps out, but Gato has red shoes distracted, so White desperately continues attempts at the Blade Runner. Suzuki sees them all coming. Suzuki goes for the pile driver, but Red Shoes has his red shoe hooked by Gato. Just as White drops down, Willy whacks Suzuki, hits the Blade Runner, three count. Suzuki has every reason to be mad at Red Shoes. He's yelling in his face. He ends up taking it out on some young lions. Uh, yeah, White's the winner. Suzuki's pissed off. He's screaming right into the camera. White skeptically accepts Yujiro's apology. And even apologizes himself if he was disrespectful. And then uh, talks about beating Ishii next. Who is next up against Okada in the main event. The commentary team believe Okada has hindered himself on purpose by introducing these new moves and not allowing himself to use the Rainmaker. Just as insightful an observation is that if Okada loses, he will not make the finals. Ishii isn't afraid to talk trash to his buddy. They elbow each other forever. The turning point's about 15 minutes with the drop kick, the tombstone, the money clip. Rocky points out that Ishii fights the hands to leave room to breathe, which is the correct defense at a basic level. Ishii starts working the arm, more of his headbutts, more of his lariats. There's a cool spot when Ishii's on the top turnbuckle and Okada hits his dropkick, which usually results in the person falling down outside of the ring, but Ishii just absorbs it and comes flying back at him with a knee. Okada grabs the wrist, hits a lariat. Ishii doesn't move that time either, but it's all adding up, and the wheels are coming off. You can see it on Ishii that um, it's, it's, it's all uh, coming together, or adding up and coming together for Okada, at least. There's a discus lariat, or rainmaker, that lands, uh, then Okada goes straight to the money clip. Ishii escapes that one, but then there's another lariat, just as the 25-minute mark's called, and the money clip goes back on. Finally, Ishii has nothing left to give, goes unconscious, and Okada wins the match by stoppage. Once again, the referee just stopping it as soon as Ishii's out. Really, really unfair to Sonata, but... Um, what are you going to do? Okada wins. Sixth win. He makes a seasonal joke. Very relatable. About the how hot it is in August. Um, says he will win the G1 Climashu. And then backstage he makes fun of his pronunciation. Okada says he knows he has to win. He needs Ibushi and White to lose. And the lack of control he has over that scenario is dissatisfying for him. He takes solace in showcasing new skills during the tournament. He says his previous battles with Osprey have been friendly, but this one he needs to win, so perhaps not so friendly this time. In Yokohama, 
Budokan, Yoda Suji versus Yu Yu Uh Again, I listened to the English commentary. Apparently, Finley brought or bought himself a trophy for winning the first quote unquote G1C block. And he has told the three guys here that he'll pass on that trophy to the winner of this C block, which is currently led by Yuumura. He took over Suji when he beat him last. Or was it when he beat... No, it was when he beat um, Kid in the last one. And so... It was... So, yeah, they it's, it's, it's battle for top spot with this match. And Suji takes him out this time with a diving headbutt. Nah, not really. It was a Boston Crab. Uh, Suji wins, takes back top spot... Uh, both men recognize that this was the last match between them on this tour. Yuomura says that one day he and Suji will square off in a G1 main event and uh, that he won't lose sight of his goals despite the loss. Suji recognizes that he is not above Yuomura, as he's been saying, given the results, and he respects him as a peer and a rival and that they can make New Japan better together. How sweet is that? B-block action. Is this the last one? Oh, this is it. All right. Oh, this is the longest podcast yet, too. Let's get through it. You're sick of my voice, aren't you? I am. Yoshihashi versus Kenta. So Kenta's had this problem with Yoshihashi, but maybe even more so Yoshihashi's staff. So when he comes out, he squares off with the staff rather than Yoshihashi. And it's a long standoff. Um, But it's not long before he tries to claim the staff as his own. He uses it as Yoshi bait. Uh, Yoshi comes back, does pretty well in what was a rather short match, but Kenta ends up winning with the crossface. Game over, that's what he calls that. Uh, Wins by submission. Yoshi backstage backstage says he's above the mocking. He doesn't care about that. He wanted to sort it out in the ring, but I guess his revenge will have to wait. Kenta is happy to see the slim camera-wielding friend of his, and um, he thought that he was fighting the staff tonight, but instead he had to fight the staff's assistant. If anyone's confused as to what I mean by the staff, I mean... Is it called a bow staff? The the stick. Not employees. But that was a funny line. Yoshihashi is the assistant to the staff. Juice Robinson versus Zack Sabre Jr., should be a, bu- uh, a good backstage promo segment between these two, but um, there's a match to get through first. So, Zack has several ways to target Juice's dangerous left arm and begins rolling them out efficiently within a few minutes. And that's the way it continues. Juice shows moments of promise and perseverance, but Zack just keeps dragging him back into his territory. Oh, there's a scary moment when uh, Zack has a triangle armbar on and... Juice lifts him up to power out of it, and as he drops him back down, for some reason Zack tucked his head uh, in, so he lands on his head, but fortunately it wasn't hard. Um, And he holds on to the submission, so Juice powers up again, and I I think uh, Juice must have realized, because the the spot they were going through was Juice powers out of it, so the next time he does it, it's much more forcefully and safe. And it leads to a bit of a comeback, but Zack slips out of the pulp friction 
pins Juice down with the European clutch to take the match. Um, and backstage, Zach says Juice is one of the toughest guys in New Japan. But he won with God-given checkers from Lord Taichi. He hasn't done the math, and just like me. So he asked someone off-screen for a rundown, and it doesn't sound too good to him. So he hopes everyone else in B-Block eats undercooked chicken, gets diarrhea, and forfeits. And once again, no juice promo. Next up, Yano and Tetsuya Naito. Naito takes a long time to come out and get ready, like more than usual. This, the entrances took like 10 minutes. Uh, so Yano is understandably frustrated that his time's being wasted. But um, when it starts, it's just a silly match, of course. Uh, Yano gets Suji involved by taping him on the other side of the ring barricade, similar to how he taped a chair on the other side of uh, the barricade to Zack Sabre Jr., tied it and so tied him together so he couldn't get through the uh, barricade. But somehow, Big Suji um, manages to squeeze through the barricade. And then um, Yano throws him into the ring to, so that he can get back in. And then Yano starts using Suji to attack... Sorry, Naito is connected to Suji. He starts using uh, Suji to attack Yano, all in the plain sight of Mario Yamas Marty Asami. And Naito... Like, how is this not a DQ? But... When they get freed, there's kind of a funny spot when they get freed that um, from the tape, Naito throws up the LIJ salute and um, Suji's real excited about it. He goes to reciprocate and Naito just kicks him and throws him on top of Yano. Uh, then they low blow each other, but Naito got the second one, so he pins Yano, he wins. Yano's very upset after the match. Naito's karma. He, or he's tranquilo. Uh, he, his final chances depend on others, but he heads to Rio Goku with high hopes. He recognizes Kenta as the New Japan Cup USA champion, as if that means something. I'm not sure if he was being sarcastic. Um, yeah, okay. Next match is Hiroki Goto versus Evil. Evil and Togo cheat, and it doesn't matter that the referee sees it. Am I getting worked? Am I getting worked by this? I don't think so. Because I just don't want to watch these matches. I mean, I'm happy to watch Evil cheat if he's good at it. And if he and if it mattered. But the way he does it, it makes everyone look bad. Evil looks weak for resorting to all of this crap. The referee looks useless for allowing it to happen. And Goto looks stupid for putting up with it. Like, why doesn't he just turn around and crack him over the head with a chair? And you could say, oh, well, because he's a samurai and he's, you know, got dignity and whatever. It's like, well, at what point do you, does it cross a line? At what point do you go, well, you know what, mate? Evil, you're a real shithead. I've already swore, who cares? You're a real shithead, evil. I'm going to knock you out. And the referee's not going to do anything because he's useless. And I'm going to pin you and that's going to be it. You know, I'll save my wrestling for someone that deserves to have a proper wrestling match. Because clearly you don't want to have one with me. Okay, maybe I'm getting worked. I don't know. But, uh, so this match, um, I mean, the last 10 seconds of it were okay. Apart, actually, there was a terrible low blow attempt 
Evil was like two meters away from Goto and he tried a low blow and just got nowhere near it. But it didn't matter. He hits his SDO, wins the match. So Goto's out. Evil's still in it uh, going into the final night of the block. And backstage, he's, you know, Evil's got his favorite words. Apart from evil, uh, justice, real, he says that a lot. He addresses Jay again, and he suggests that they stop with the games and they fight, that they work it out in the ring. So that's um, going somewhere. Main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Sanada. And this is a match you'd expect from these two. I mean, it's not the quickest. It's all about their signature holds, wearing each other down. Tanahashi goes for the legs. You should know this by now. We're 15 years into this. Um... He hits a high-fly flow to the knees of Sonata. Not in the way that he was working the knees, in that Sonata got the knees up, and uh, that hurt Tanahashi. After a skull end, Sonata hits Tanahashi's knees with a moonsault, also the, the bad variety for Sonata this time. Tanahashi goes for another high-fly flow, but Sonata catches him with a cutter. The RKO out of nowhere. And um, as the... Clock counts down. There was only a couple of minutes remaining when Sonata gets up to the top rope, hits a moonsault to the back, rolls him over, hits another moonsault to the chest, defeats Tanahashi to keep him in the hunt for the G1 crown. And this time Sonata's fans are they're ready for him. They've got their lights on their phones out before he has to ask. He says evil's next and that of course he'll win. He thanks the fans. Backstage... Tanahashi's lying down again, he's dismayed. He says not making the cut is hard for him to accept, but his opponents have been great. So he starts listing them. Naito, Ibushi, Okada, and then he stops, he's like, oh, maybe not Okada. Which at first I thought was a shot at Okada, but then I was like, wow, did I miss a Tanahashi-Okada match? Like, how did that fly by me? And then I realized, no, wait, Okada's in a different block. So, that's that's what he meant. But then Ibushi's in the A block as well. Ah, but, you know, I mean, look, the man's depressed. Leave him alone. And he says Sonata was the best of all of them. And he says if he was a teenage fan and he was watching that match, that he would have been going for Sonata. Uh, Tanashi says tomorrow he will begin working towards next year's G1. And then he corrects himself. He says no. I'll start right now. So, that's it for that one. And of course, there was the um, A Block final last night, my time, Friday night, or and Japanese time. That's why I watch Japanese wrestling. Um, well, and because it's better. But, oh, did he? No, he didn't. Um, you know what? It's my podcast, though. And it doesn't make any sense to just for the sake of the fact that it was on a Friday night talk about the final A block card and then all the you know all the way up to next week it's the final B block card and then the final like I'll just do final A block card final B block card final of the G1 all next week it's neat that way it's better that's my decision I'm in charge I'll you know I'll do what I want damn it and on that note, that's it. Look at this. A record. Nearly an hour and a half in. So, 
thank you for putting up with all of this, and until next time, have a good one.